I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. If you will turn in your Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, and we will be reading verses 8 and 9, but our focal and our main scripture this morning will be verse 9. But I wanted to read chapter 8 to set the stage of what's going on in this chapter The children of Israel have been in Babylonian captivity for many years, for over 70 years. And they have, while in that captivity, they have seen God meet their needs and have seen God do great things through uh, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through the prophet Daniel, and seen God really do mighty things. But God has now moved with favor. On his people and has moved on the kings of Persia, King Cyrus, to grant the people of Israel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. He has has granted them favor. And you know it's God's favor because when's the last time you ever know anybody of letting anybody go without a good reason? I can take you back to Exodus when God uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart and he brought the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt and into the promised land. God had his hand in that from the beginning and God moved and brought his people out. Just in a similar fashion, God moved with compassion over King uh, Cyrus and he has granted his captive people the ability to return to their home city to rebuild the walls and to rebuild their homes and to rebuild the house of God. That is the title of my message this morning. It's called Rebuilding the House of God. In in, uh, Ezra chapter 9, verses 8, it reads, and I will be in the New King James Version. It says, and now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in the house of the holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. We were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I just thank you right now. Lord, I surrender, Lord God. I am just a vessel this morning. You have given me a word. God, you have given me the word to speak to the people this morning. And and God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our lives and our spirits, God, to receive what you have to say to the church this morning, God. I pray that your anointing be in this place as it already is. I pray the needs will be met, God, that you would move in our hearts and ignite our spirits in Jesus' name. I pray. Come go with me through the Old Testament to the destroyed city of Jerusalem. Ruins on a hill were a testimony to the devastating power of Babylon and a grim testimony to the devastating effects of rebellion against God. 
Hardly a stone remained atop another. The walls were broken down. The gates were charred and broken. And litter was scattered about what was once a proud entrance to a proud city. No city was like the city of Jerusalem. Back in the days of King David and King Solomon at the height of the greatness of the kingdom of Israel, many would come from all over the world to see the wisdom of King Solomon and see the magnificent house of God that Solomon had built through the vision and the heart of his father. He would be uh, such or, you know, coated with an anointing uh, that it drew those from all over the world. But now that city, that proud city, that great city sits in, 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 in rubble and it is, it has perished. The structure was gone. The temple of the dwelling of the place of God was nothing more than rubble. The foundations were torn out. No altar, no gold, only refuse. No longer the proud city of David. No longer the center of true worship. Now it was broken and ruined. It also kind of portrays America. Now this is not a political message. I don't come here uh, being political this morning. But it's no mistaken that this paints the picture of what we deal with in America today. Not just in a spiritual sense. We resemble the ruins of Jerusalem in our economic straits. Deficit spending has streaked us towards bankruptcy. The exponential growth of our troubles leaves us with little hope for a bright tomorrow. The fires of immorality have burned the gates. The battering ram of conformity has reached and breached the walls. No one is singing, happy days are here again. If you are, you may be considered a fool. Who dared would say this? It is time we face it. The America that we once opened legislative deliberations by calling on God. Now, for wisdom is gone. The America founded on Judeo-Christian principles has slipped her foundation to build on sinking sand. Many politicians have endorsed sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. We must pray for our leadership as Daniel prayed for Under Darius, these are perilous times. The worship of Moloch is alive and well in the sacrifice of millions of unborn children by abortion. It has become a political issue for most rather than a moral issue. Because we no longer have a measure of morality. Because we no longer have a measure of morality. The children in this land are not sacrificed to a god of stone or gold. They are sacrificed to the great god of convenience and selfishness. And to a god named desperation. Sacrificed often at the price demanded for immorality and the freedom of lifestyle. Hmm. We've been raised for such a time as this. We've been raised to rebuild the house of God, to repair its ruins. Where do we begin? What do we do to restore the house of God, to rebuild the house of God? We deal in a world today. We deal in a nation today. In some of our homes we deal today, we have no altar in our houses. I'm burdened by that this morning. 
I'm burdened at the fact that we as the people of God, the church of God, the church of America, the church of this world, don't have altars in our homes anymore. We don't have altars in our hearts anymore. We have let, and when we don't have an altar in our midst, when we don't approach our worship, when we don't approach our relationship with sacrificial worship, when we don't come before a holy God wanting to deal with the very thing that separates us from God. When we don't deal with it, we allow the enemy a crack in the door. We allow him to creep in. We allow him to seep in. Because when we don't deal with sin, the enemy creeps in and he takes over. He begins to make us stink like culture. It be- worship becomes more about who we are rather than on who he is. We come into a house wanting to know if the three songs that we're going to sing have anything to do with our way of worship. We want to know if it's what we want to sing, if it fits my style. And if they don't sing the songs that I want to sing, I close my spirit. I shut my soul down and I will not worship. But we've allowed God. We have, we have, allowed, we have allowed the enemy to seep into our country. We've allowed the enemy. How did he get here? Because he came through our homes. He came through our, how did he get here? He came through our hearts. We no longer allow the holy God of Israel to sit in our hearts. We allow our selfish ambitions to worship and control who we are. The enemy has not only seeped into our homes, he seeped into our schools. Abraham Lincoln said the philosophy of the government in one generation, I mean, of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. So when you take prayer out of schools, when you take prayer out of your homes, when you take prayer out of who you are, the enemy can run a muck in a nation. He can run a muck in your house. He can run a muck in your soul. We must restore the altar. The first thing they did when they saw the ruins is that they did not run to the house of, of the foundation of the temple. They didn't run to their homes they used to go to. They didn't start building the walls. They built an altar. They, they started putting stone upon stone and they rebuilt the altar. In Ezra chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jezodak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, any religious movement... If it's of God, will be centered at the altar. The place where we must, where place that may be dealt with. Our critics may call us simplistic. Our detractors can point out the complexities of living in this age and contrast us from our own destitution. But the fact remains: any movement that does not require the cleansing of sin, the any movement that does not. Uh, require the old man die and, and not redemptive and therefore is irrelevant to the salvation of man. Dederick Bonhoeffer said it like this with such passion. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
when, when the people of Israel entered into the outer courts of the, of the tabernacle and in the temple, the first thing they are met with is the brazen altar. But because before I could ever enter into his presence, because that is what the tabernacle represents in its physical sense in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it refers to how we are to live. The tabernacle is a direct portrait and reflection of how we're supposed to live. The temple. Paul said we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the, temp- we are the embodiment of the power and the Spirit of God. So when we come into the courts of, of the outer, or the outer court of, of the sanctuary, the first thing that we're met with is an altar. Because if I don't deal with sin, I cannot enter in. If I don't deal with the things of this which keeping me and separating me from God, How can I house the glory? How can I receive the glory? How can I operate in the glory? I cannot because there's sin in my life. I've been reading in this Bible recap. We started this year, this Bible recap. We've been reading through the the Bible chronologically. We've been through Genesis, we've been through Job, and we've been through Exodus and we're in Leviticus. And God is beginning to reveal to me the sacrificial, the sacrificial things that he did in Leviticus. And the reason of it was this. He told, he told Moses, he said, I am holy, so you have to be holy. If, I, if I'm going to come and if I'm going to rest onto the mercy seat in, in the holiest of holies, I need you to be consecrated. I need you to be cleansed because if you don't, you'll die. If you don't, you can, I cannot dwell because I'm too holy to be in your presence. So in order for you to be in the presence of God, I need you to be holy. I need you to be consecrated. I need you to be set aside. And the only way I can get to that point is that first I must have an altar. I need to be able to, I need to toil with the Lord about my sin. I need it to be laid on the altar. I need, the Bible says that they wouldn't just lay the, lay the animal on the altar, that they would cut it up in pieces. I don't mean to get graphic, and I promise you that's about as graphic as it's going to be. But I can promise you this one thing. The reason why that is is because we need to cut the bull in our life. We need to lay the animal, cut sin in its pieces, and deal with it individually. Quit blanketing, saying, God, forgive me of my sins. What sin? That sin that the, uh, the author said in Hebrews, that said that so easily entangles you and separates you from God. It's that sin. Oh, you know what it is. It's that sin. He didn't say, thus, he didn't say sin. He said that sin that so easily entangles you because it's specific. You have to be specific with God. You have to be intentional with God. And we, ha- we cannot move forward in our walk with God until we deal with the sin that's in our life. I'm grateful today because of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm glad I don't have to slay animals anymore. I'm glad I don't have to do those sacrifices because the one sacrificial lamb that came and died on the cross of Calvary. And if I receive him into my heart today, and if I receive him into my life today, he's the ultimate atonement. He's the ultimate sacrifice for my sins that because of him, I'm made holy. It's not my work. It's not my doing. But when I receive him I am made holy I am justified by faith through Christ Jesus he justifies me we need an altar we need an altar we must rebuild the altar in America in our home in our church in the meeting place between God and man we need to be able to speak 
and deal with the sin of our life. I can see it now. I wish I could go back in time. Sometimes we wish we could go back and, and have these time machines and be able to go and see uh, what the works they did back in the Old Testament. And I can see the footage that Jeshua and Zerubbabel walking onto the temple site, marking off according to the records. And when they were certain they had found the right spot, they began to clear the way the rubble. They began, the priest not allowing anyone to help, began to uh, sweat, choosing the stone, possibly weeping in the process, each stone put in its place. A crowd gathered in the rubble for the first time in 70 years. 70 years. They were in captivity. And they finally have been able to build an altar and worship the Lord. Having watched in silence, wow, these real men. We're not talking about these macho men, these Rambo-type Casanova syndrome men. We're talking about real men that displayed by Zerubbabel and and Jeshua who wrestled stones of, uh, of the altar into their proper place. If you're not wrestling with God, you're not doing anything with God. I'm going to say that again. If you're not wrestling with God, you're not doing anything with God. Jacob wrestled with God on the seashore on the fort of Jabbok for change. Why? Because before he could go any further in what he was going to operate in the blessing, he had to wrestle with God. He had to have it change. He couldn't be a surplanter anymore. He had to be the prince of God. He had to have his name changed. When I wrestle with God and I deal with the sin in my life and I accept him into my heart, he gives me a new name. It's called a child of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. So when I receive him into my life, I am anew. That's why we wrestle with God. If you're not wrestling with God through, the, through his word and the power of his Holy Spirit, how can he change you? How can he move in you? How can he mold you? How can he make you? The Bible says that we are clay and he is the potter. And he molds us and shapes us. How can you be molded into the things of God if he's not toiling and wrestling with you? In this age, we must, we, we must return to the altar. We must reestablish the altar. Why do we need to reestablish the altar? Because we need to, number two, reinstitute true worship. If I don't have an altar in the house, how do I have true worship? How can I do it like he wants it? I'm going to tell you something. I believe in the freedom of worship, but I also believe in the organization of worship as well. I believe there's a, that if you read in the Old Testament, God is pretty organized and sets up what he wants to do. He needs this. You need to do this. It's not just systematic, but it's organized to the fact that if you want me to be in your presence and you want me to dwell and speak with you, you have to do these things in order for me to do that. You must have a, a clean hands and a pure heart, David said, and not lift your soul to another. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart and let us not give our souls to another. He, what angered God the most is when, when his people would allow the enemy to come in and allow them to, watch, uh, to, to worship pagan gods. How often do we do that? No, we don't have statues in our house that we bow to. But there's a lot of things that step in, in, in between us and him. There's a lot of things that occupy our time. Oh, we've got travel ball. we got our kids in school. we got our careers and our jobs. And I'm just going to tell you something right now. I've got all those. I've got all those. 
But how long will we allow these things to separate us from God? How long will we allow these to, to stand at the forefront and say, God, this is more important than you? Because if you have a Christ-centered life, the Bible says this, if you seek me first in my kingdom, then all these things will be added unto you. If you're having him at the forefront, if it's Jesus Christ first, if it's God first, a God-centered life, an altered-centered life, then you'll have everything in order. You have everything in order. We need to reinstitute true worship. Despite their fear of the people around them, you have to imagine their walls are exposed. The, their altar is exposed. And, they, and the enemy is surrounding them. So wouldn't you be afraid? I'd be afraid too. So while they're building altars, while they're building walls for their cities in the house of God, they have a sword in one hand and they're building with the other. You have, and, and you can imagine the fear that, w- that would grip their hearts and their minds. They also kept... The feast of the tabernacles that is written and offered in the daily burnt burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinance of each day according to Ezra 3.4. Afterwards, they would offer the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for the appointed appointed feast and, and of the Lord that that were consecrated and those, everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord according to Ezra 3 5 from the first day of the seventh month they began to, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord although the foundation of the temple had not been laid yet study the passage and you will find three necessary ingredients for true worship I can't stress the importance of these three ingredients the first one for true worship is sacrifice the second is celebration and the third is consecration The charismatic movement has brought some wonderful fruit and some grievous blunders. We have taught people well that worship is celebration, but we have not given equal time to teaching that worship is sacrifice and consecration. So much of what we pass as praise and worship is only praise. It's exciting. It's what makes us feel better. That's what we do. If, if, we don't, if we don't feel like that worship and praise is celebrating and is, and is exciting, then we don't want a part of it. If it don't make me feel good, if it don't make me feel better, I'm going to tell you something right now. Worship ain't all about how you feel. Worship ain't about, it's not about your feelings. Again, it's not about you. I, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news to break your ego this morning, but it's not about you. It's about him. And you will never see God do what he needs to do. You will never see a move of God like he has prophesied and spoken that the last days will happen until you quit making it about you and make it about him. There is a, there is a revival right now going at Asbury University. And many, as many days as they've been, over 10 days now, they've been in revival. And it's been pure worship. Many of, of, of popular uh, speakers and popular worship leaders have called them and said, Hey, how can we lend our help? How can we, how can we uh, uh, be a part of this? And they said, With all due respect, we don't want you coming. Because... Uh, We don't want it to be about your talents. We don't want it to be about what you can do. We want it about him. We want it to be about true worship. You're more than welcome to come attend. You're more than welcome to come and be a part. But it's not about what God is doing to you. It's about what God wants to do through us. And I admire that because that's true worship and that's true revival. 
That's true revival. So much, uh, uh, well, let me say it like this. Those who turned to Jerusalem went back to sacrifices. It's not about just celebration. It's a part of it. And if we want, we want to do what makes us feel better, but we must realize that our worship is incomplete. When it's all about celebration and there's no consecration, worship ought to do this. You know what worship is? Your praise is your declaration of how good God is. Worship is your life reflecting that. Worship is your, your life reflecting that because if your, wor- your worship doesn't reflect your praise, then your praise cannot reflect your worship. If, you, if you're coming to God with it about being about feelings, then it doesn't reflect your worship, or maybe it does. Maybe it does reflect your worship because maybe, yet, maybe there's not an altar in your house. Maybe, there's not a, maybe a true institution of worship is not in your house. Maybe you need to get your house in order. Maybe you need to, be, need to get your house in order. Maybe our houses need to return to the altar so that true, uh, genuine worship is offered the way God wants it to be. Because, so in order for him to come rest in our hearts and come rest in our souls, he, we must declare God to be holy for he is holy. That is a taboo word now. Nobody wants to talk about holiness anymore. Nobody wants to talk about what it takes to be holy. You know what consecration is? Consecration is my decision to separate myself from the world. It's that it's, it's I, I get, I, I'm not going to sing the songs of the world. I'm not going to look at the things the world looks at. I'm not going to live the way the world lives. I'm going to get in line with God. You know what sanctification is? Is when God honors it. Is when God says, I'll take your consecration and I'll sanctify it. Because he's the sanctifier. And until, that's why it's like this. That's why it's, you're saved, you're sanctified, and you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Because I can't, be, I can't sanctify myself. I can only deplete to God and say, God, I have consecrated myself. I have set myself aside. And God says, I see what you have done and I sanctify it. That's why we ought to be, worship ought to drive us to consecration. It ought to make us, God, you know, I don't want to do these things anymore. I don't have to do these addictions anymore. I don't have to do, do the things I used to be or be the person I used to be. That's the problem with the church today. We're too busy trying to be like the world, thinking that we can reach the world by being the world. But God says, come out from behind, among them and be ye separate. You've got to consecrate yourself for true worship to be offered. True worship. For 70 years, they had lived without meaningful worship. That didn't grieve your heart. That didn't grieve your soul. That to go without meaningful worship. I'm telling you something right now. Help me if I say this. Our worship has been stagnant. Too long we have, we have wallowed in a stinky, stagnant, selfish worship that's meaningless. We've made it about us and we've made it about our feelings and we've made it about who we are. And God says it stinks. It smells rotten. It smells of decay. It smells of ruin because you do not offer meaningful worship. You've allowed the enemy and culture to come in to define what your worship is. 
We've allowed the wrong things to come to determine who we are and how we worship God. We allow culture to determine the church rather than the church to determine the culture. God's not called you to be like them. He's called you to come out from among them and be separate. You don't do those things that they do. You are not them. You are to be like him. You are to yield. There are two altars. There's the brazen altar on the outer court. And there's the altar of incense in the, in the inner court. You know what that, that altar of incense represents? Is that on the outside is where sin dies. On the inside is where the will dies. On the inside is where you, when you, and it can't be lit by anything else but the dying of sin. So you know how, you know how your, the sin dies on the outside? Your will dies through the fire of sin dying. So in other words, for, to the, my will to surrender and die, it comes from the lit altar of the outside. You can't, you can't use strange fire. Mo, uh, no, uh, Aaron's sons died because of strange fire. They tried to make it something else. And if, you don't, if you're not uh, careful, you will die in your sins because you have offered up strange fire. You have allowed outside things to determine what fires you up. Oh, I, it, it don't take much to fire people up nowadays, especially in the political realm. Oh, they'll get fired up about who's in the White House and who's not in the White House. We'll get fired up what's allowed us, what we can and can't do. But we don't get, when it comes to the spiritual things of this world, nothing has lit us afire. We'll go, oh, God help me. We'll go to our altars. We'll go to our altars and we'll pray against the president. We'll pray against the senator. We'll pray against evildoers when our heart's full of malice. And it's full of hate because we're going to the altar with strange fire. But God does not honor strange fire. God does not honor strange fire. It's not till you offer true and reinstitute the true genuine worship that God changes things in a world. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and then will I heal their land. It's not until then. It's not until the altar's rebuilt. And it's not until we institute true worship. Number three, not only do we need to reinstitute or rebuild the altar, and reinstitute true, genuine worship, but we need to get organized. We need to get our act together. We, we, need, we need to quit like that God's just this freelance God that just floats. I'm going to tell you something. That's a, that's a, I can take you back to the, to the good old 70s and 60s when all that, let's be free movement. Let's do, let's, oh, let's, you know, all this free, free. Okay, God's a God of freedom. But God also has, God, has organization too. And God is telling us as a church, we need to get our act together. We need to get organized. We need to, we need to, God is a great organizer. You can look at this world and see how greatly organized. He just didn't go, here we go, here's the world. He goes, day one, here's light. Day two, here's this. Day three, and on the seventh day, I'm resting. He gave organization to the cosmos. He created, he created cosmos out of chaos. He created the world with perfect symmetry. The Genesis account shows that the deliberation, coordination, priority, and master planning. God is the master organizer, the master orchestrator. 
one must be deadened in the senses to not see that. The human body in itself is a study in order, a reflection of the creator. For the first time when God made man, when he made Adam, he stood face to face and saw himself. You don't understand the magnitude of what sin did to destroy that. For the first time, God stood because we were made in his image. And he said, oh, it's very good when he made man. And he saw Adam because he, for the first time he stared at himself. Sin will destroy that. Sin will cause you to be casted out among that. But I'm grateful today But because of what Jesus did, the second Adam. Jesus came. Jesus came and redeemed us from our sins. And it allowed us to become more like him. And for us to be able to approach the throne with boldness. David said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. Psalms 139, 14. The, the human body is the illustration the world chooses to give definition to the church. Highly organized, incredibly efficient, packed with hope and potential. Now I'm going to tell you something right now. When I say the word church, I'm not talking about uh, this building. I'm not talking about, and I want to tell you, we've got beautiful buildings all over the world. But we've got empty people in them. We've got empty people in them. God's, God, God's intention for him to come, save us, rescue us from sin, sanctify us is to be what? Is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Why is there an, a, a, an outpouring of the Holy Ghost where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Why are you powered with that kind of a power? It's not so you can feel good. It's not for you to get, oh, give me a touch. He's tired of giving you a touch. He's tired of it being about you. Oh, how many times have we prayed that prayer? I'll hold up my hands and if I could, I'd hold up all my feet too. I've prayed that, God, I want to touch. He said, I'm tired of touching you. I want, you, I want to empower you to touch other people. I'm I want to empower you to reach the world. It's, it's, the, it's no secret that on the day of Pentecost, when he poured out his spirit upon all flesh, that everybody was there that spoke different languages. And because they spoke with tongues, they were able to hear the gospel in their own language. Why? Because he has empowered us to reach the world. To show the demonstrations. Why was it Peter able to go to the gate beautiful and a lame man sit there and say, I don't have any money. I know you need it and I know you want it, but I don't have any money. But what I do have, such as I give unto you, get up and walk. The world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to see God move through you and through me. It's tired of you wanting to be touched. Now, I know we have our needs. Let me just stop right there. I know we have our needs. I know we have our ailments. And I know that God, we, have our, that God, we need God to touch us. I'm not discrediting in that. Please don't misunderstand what I've said. But too long we have made it about us. Too, much, too many times we've made it about absorbing God's glory and not portraying God's glory. Too many times we have made it about us and we, get out, we, get, we make ourselves unorganized and we get out of sync with God and we wonder why the, the world is the way it is. God's purpose for the church was for him to shine his glory through it, for him, to, for him to pour out his spirit on all flesh and for us to reach those who don't know who he is. We must be organized. And number four is Implementation. I can talk about reinstating and restoring the altar. I can talk about the need of needing true, genuine worship. 
I can talk about us needing to get organized and getting our act together, but if there's no implementation, it don't matter. If there's no implementation, it don't matter. It's been said like this. I, the, the, uh, it's, well, I'll say it like this. It has been said that getting started on a job is half the work. I don't always get jobs I start finished, but the ones, things for certain, I never finish jobs I don't start. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about wanting to implement. You have to, the Bible says the engrafted word is what saves our soul. If you don't adopt the plan of God, if you don't obey the word of God, it's not until you obey that makes your sacrifice meaningful. Jesus, uh, God told King Saul, he said, I want your obedience more than I want your sacrifice. I want your obedience more than I want you. You can, you can do all you want to, but if you don't have any, an intentional plan of implementing it in your life, then it doesn't mean anything. You stopped it. You've plugged. You have clenched the hose pipe so the water can't come out. You have clamped it down and have stopped it at the point that you failed to implement it. That is where the church is today. We have failed to implement the plan of God so it can, he can execute his purpose in this world. That's why it smells of stench of horrible worship, meaningless worship. That's why sin comes in this world. You realize the world you're living in right now? If we don't implement God's plan... You realize that our, the, the world is on all, our enemy is, is on an all-out attack on our families. He's on an all-out attack for our children. Before they can even learn to tie their shoes, they, need, they believe they need to decide to tell what kind of gender they can be. You realize the debauchery that is? That's the world we live in. They can't even turn on a cartoon without there being homosexual, homosexual tendencies on there. You can't even turn on commercials anymore without there being homosexuality on there and sin. You can't even turn on an award show without watching uh, them offer uh, sacrificial worship to Satan himself. How long will we sit back and be onlookers? How long will we sit back and watch this go down and not be partakers of God's glory and implement his plan, implement his purpose in our life, rebuild our house of God. Let's turn our homes. You know where the revival started back in the days of old? They didn't start in churches. They didn't start anywhere but in the house. They started in the house. It's when you decided, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's when you decide that I'm no longer going to allow this uh, to be offered to my children. I'm no longer going to subject myself to these things in the world. I will consecrate myself. I will reinstate the altar in my, in my house. I will reinstate worship in my house. I will be an organized believer and I will implement his plan in my life. Let's bow our heads as we, as we close tonight. We need to rebuild the house of God. Are you returning to your home today with it being in shambles of what used to be a, a powerful house of God now sits in the rubble and ruin because the enemy has come and destroyed? I'm reminded of Elijah 
when he spoke to King Ahab and to Queen Jezebel. And he prophesied through the anointing of the Holy Ghost and said there will be a famine for three years. There will be a drought. And after those three years were done, he goes and he tells King Ahab and he says, you, you take all the prophets of Baal, you go meet me at Mount Carmel. Now why did he choose Mount Carmel? Notice they didn't go to the house of God. Notice they didn't go to the temple. They didn't go to the, they didn't go to the, the palace. They didn't go to the, the walls, the outer court. They went to Mount Carmel. Because what's that out Carmel? A broken altar. A broken altar. It was at that broken altar after they done had their fit and their time of, of, of calling on their God that he, re, he rebuilt the altar for the rain to come. And when the only way the rain can come is if the fire hits the altar. Church, we need to rebuild our altars in our home. We need to reinstitute true genuine worship. We need to rebuild the house of God. In this last days, God wants to move. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You can be an onlooker or you can be a participator. If that's you, if you have a need this morning, if God has pricked your heart or you have a personal need this morning, I ask that you come. The altars are open this morning. If you're not right with God, if you need salvation this morning, this altar is open for you. If you, are need, if you need to be rekindled this morning, if you need, God needs to revive us again. He needs to revive us. Revive us, O oh God. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us. Again, let God do something in your heart today. The altar is open. We can come. I'll pray with you. I'll pray over you. I'll pray you through whatever you have, whatever your need is this morning. But God, these open, these altars are open this morning. I'll be worshiping you. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. God, drive us back to the heart of worship. Drive us back to the real 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 purpose of your heart, of what true worship is. Drive us back, God, to the altar. Drive us back to our, to our homes to be lit a fire with your sweet Holy Ghost. Oh, God, we praise you. We glorify you. We lift you up. Let us contend again. Let us, let us come to, to the horns of the altar like Aaron would grab the horns of the altar. Let us grab the horns of the altar, Lord God, and let us hear your voice again. Let us speak in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches, and in our everyday life, and in this world, and in this nation. Oh, sweet spirit, move in this place. In Jesus' name, draw us back to your heart. God, let us come and repent of our sins, let us reconfirm our lives and re-get get back to the fundamentals of what it means to be a believer. Hallelujah, Jesus, we praise you, God.